Welcome back to another episode of For More Reset. My name is Chris Okray, and I'm here today with a great guest, Taylor Fuller, who is a digital marketing specialist at Pacific Science Center. Full transparency, she is a current client of ours. But what's great about having her is she works at a nonprofit, which many in the Seattle area know, Pacific Science Center. And from my perspective, I love working with nonprofits. It was kind of a realization I came across probably four or five years ago when I started trying to use some of my marketing expertise to help nonprofits is it's amazing how strapped some nonprofits are in terms of resources, time, let alone money. And while it's great to put time and volunteer and boots on the ground time, it's also great to give back from a marketing perspective because a lot of nonprofits need support. Pacific Science Center itself is a larger um, nonprofit. They're a big tourist attraction and local attraction. They're a little bit bigger organization, but it's great to help and um, they actually do have a, a, a really strong marketing team, but it's it's great to be an extension to that and give back to the community in a lot of ways. So it's a, a great pleasure to bring in uh, Taylor today. Taylor, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, Chris. I am doing great. How are you? Good. Uh, I know, you know, we usually start off the episode and I actually have your full resume right in front of me, but I would love to hear from your perspective because uh, you're not from the Seattle area, but you're here now. Talk about your current path to Pacific Science Center your position in digital marketing, how did you get into marketing, and, you know, your step to here. Okay, great. Um, Yeah, so I'm originally from Southern California. I studied film theory and literature at UC Irvine. I know it's random. But from there, um, I'd done several marketing internships, including some internships abroad in London and Prague for several semesters, which was awesome. And it just really opened my eyes as to how communications really do play a part in anything like media, specifically media. And so with that, I just started like out of college, I started to work in social media management and marketing for several museums and nonprofits, including the California Science Center and the Zimmer Children's Museum um, back in L.A. And I actually just moved here last summer. So I'm pretty new to the Seattle area. But yeah. For nonprofits, was that something you wanted to get in from the beginning? Because a lot of your experience going back is is in, you worked at a California Science Center and now another Science Center, but in between their uh, museums. What, why nonprofits? Is this something, an area you always knew you wanted to focus on or did it just happen that way and now you have a lot of experience in that? Um. Well, actually, I just love museums, to be honest. Growing up, I just remember going to museums like on the weekends with my family. And it was a great way just to connect with different cultures and history. I'm a really nerd. like I'm a huge nerd and I love history. So it was a really great way just for me to learn. And I just thought, yeah, museums, it's just a great place just to uh, get my foot in the door into marketing. And just I never really thought that I would work at a science center. Um, I actually fell into it. Um, but ever since I just, yeah, I just love the energy of the people that I work with and yeah, so far it's so good. Yeah. And shout out to Pacific Science Center. Free plug here for Pacific Science Center. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great place. I have a two and a half year old and it's amazing. And there's just like a play area too. So if you don't want to do some of the sciencey stuff, there's just an area to play as well, but great, great weekend spot. Um, with that experience in nonprofits, are there any skills needed to succeed in the nonprofit world? I have some thoughts on it, but what do you think there's some unique skills with nonprofit knowing that it's maybe not the same as for-profit world or big business? Do you feel like maybe one or two things stick out that kind of lead to success in the type of campaigns that you're running or just kind of working within the infrastructure of a nonprofit? 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like the first skill is being resourceful. I mean, <laughs> you definitely work with a, a limited budget. And so just being able to think outside the box and find ways to get a message across with little funds behind it. I think also being collaborative, you have to be really comfortable working with other departments like education as well as um, other organizations and contractors, including the NW. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, just being able to be flexible and collaborative and creative. I feel like that's a major um, skill set you have to have while working in nonprofits. And also a major one is being strategic. I feel like it's very important to know what your product or what your message is and the audience that you're trying to target. And I feel like that's still something I'm still trying to figure out with. I mean, Seattle's a different demographic compared to Los Angeles. So just finding more data and research just to back up, uh, okay, what does this audience actually want and how can we better cater to their needs? So, yeah. I want to talk about you and, and some of your background. You're actually going to college right now in a grad degree and while working full-time. Yeah. <laughs> How are you handling that workload, knowing that you're adopting and adapting to a new city? You are working full-time and going to school. How do you, I guess, emotionally and just physically manage that, trying to do two things at once? Uh, (laughs) That's a great question. I mean, I feel like it requires a lot of balance. So, yeah, I study at UW in their communications leadership master's program. And my focus is mainly diversity work, just seeing how to better structure campaigns around a community and what they want and not so much what we perceive that they want. And so it's been interesting. I mean, I only study part-time, so my classes are mainly in the evening. And it's been, (laughs) I mean, I've only survived, I think, my first two quarters. And so, so far, it's it's good. I mean, I'm only taking one or two classes a quarter. Um, So... Yeah, yeah actually, I personally did the same night program for my grad school. So my MBA was, shout out to Oakland University, a couple shout outs today, <laughs> Oakland University, not Oakland, California, as some may think it's actually Oakland is a county in Michigan. And uh, Oakland, it is division one in pretty much everything. It just doesn't have a football program. It, uh, anyways, I took a three and a half year night, pretty much program. It was like one or two courses a semester, just chipping it, a, chipping away at it. I actually went right from undergrad to my MBA. So I was kind of in education mode and it didn't feel like that heavy of a lift, but there are days when you're just, do I really want to go to this three hour class (laughs) and then give up my weekend to do a group project and all those things? Like it was very, you know, taxing. I didn't think the work was maybe individually for the classes that difficult, but just it's time consuming, right? And you're giving up a lot of time to go to the courses. Are the courses online or in person a mix? It's a mix, but they're mostly in person. So yeah, the university been closed during the pandemic, but they just reopened fully, yeah. I think, last fall. Yeah. I agree with what you said. It is a little stressful just having to balance my socializing because I am in a new city and I do want to explore the city. But then I have to mm-hmm. buckle down and, yeah, focus on my classes. But so far, my, I love my classes. So that's been great. This is like a loaded question. But is PacSci, do you feel like they're giving you space to your like management, to knowing that you have education, late classes, you may things may pop up that conflict do you feel like are they are they understanding do you feel like that they have your back on the kind of the continual education front um i mean not financially i mean <laughs> <laughs> i wish they could subsidize my tuition but no um but other than that i mean my manager monica shout out to monica uh she's been really great in just understanding like my schedule and she's been very supportive and so yeah i just had to communicate like oh yeah i won't be able to work this one weekend um, or this evening because of an event. Um, 
But yeah, she's very she's been very supportive. So yeah. What do you think companies can do? And it seems like you have a supportive system here, but you've we're gonna talk about some of your other education and things you've done, but what can companies do to better support people that want to continue with education? Whether it's maybe one off courses or a fuller program. Do you feel like there's something missing? Do you feel like it's just a support system? I know the financial side would be amazing, <laughs> but do you do you feel like at least in your experience so far, it's been it's been good. Are there other things missing potentially? Um, I really do feel like the financial side. <laughs> I think that's a major part. Um, I feel like it would be great if some managers actually asked their employees during like performance appraisals as to what type of skills they want to build on, and from there, like what type of programs they're interested in signing up for. Like I know several museums, they would partner with the local university and they would actually give discounts on tuition for some of their certificate programs. I know USC did that. I feel like it's just a great way for companies to invest in their staff's professional development on the long term. I know it would definitely increase retention and productivity for their employees. So, yeah. Yeah, we've had this conversation at DNW. We have a small team and I've brought up continual education and I feel like I think you talked about that kind of communication of the employer and the employee or the boss talking about, you know, continual education. I think I brought it up with our team and one of the challenges has been maybe the financial burden to a smaller company or just they don't want to put a burden on me to ask, right? It's harder for someone, let alone someone more senior, but someone 22, 25, 27 to ask someone more senior and say, hey, this is important to me thousands of dollars, or mm-hmm. I want to do these programs, it may enter. It, that's, I think there's an intimidation factor that comes with it. So I do think it is on management to kind of mm-hmm. take those barriers down and to be open and reinforce it. I think one thing just being reflective, as you said, that was, I brought it up, but do I keep bringing it up, right? Do I keep giving them those windows to say, hey, if you're interested in this course, albeit a, a weekend course, that's $300 or whatever it is, come to me, feel open about it. Don't feel intimidated. Exactly. It's just, it really does start from the top down. So, yeah. yeah. I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile and I have it <laughs> printed out, by the way. Uh, but you have a lot of licenses and certifications around inclusion and diversity. And I know that your continuing education program you're in now is around that, a lot of that as well. Um, what have those courses taught you that have helped apply to the business world? Um, do you feel like it's helped you personally. Do you feel like you're bringing those, that kind of education and improvement? Do you feel like there is improvement happening from your perspective? Um, I guess this is a multi-tiered question. One is, what has that brought to the workplace and how you approach day-to-day work and, and management and maybe guiding other people that are in leadership? And then two, do you feel like taking those courses, you're seeing changes being made in the workplace to maybe get more inclusive and acknowledging things that maybe were missed in the past? I mean, if anything, I feel like the classes that I'm taking are giving me awareness of structures that do need to be improved in the workplace. Um, So I'm taking classes in like critical race theory, equity, and team building. I'm basically learning just how a company basically is a system and it's created by people. And because it's created by people, it can include their microaggressions, their biases. And so it's just important for people to just be very mindful as to how your actions can greatly affect other people in the workplace, including my own. So it all just starts with me. So just me being mindful of my own actions when I operate with my department 
and then outside of that department. And so if anything, I feel like I'm just developing the language to just set boundaries as Mm -hmm. to, okay, this is part of my job description. (laughs) This is what you're asking of me. Um, And just being very clear as to what I can and cannot do. Mm -hmm. And then just actually putting in the time to communicate. I feel like a lot of people are very weary and having uncomfortable conversations about race, or it could be about accessibility, just other issues. But I feel like it really does take a lot of courage and vulnerability to talk about those things, especially at work. Yeah. Are a lot of the courses you take in in the eye of management and the potential of leading those teams, or is it a mix? Because it sounds like you're taking it from your own perspective and being more aware of situations. Have you been able to kind of practice it in and maybe implement certain things? Or is it more of just continued education and when you get to more management positions, you'll be able to adopt uh, more of these kind of ideas and, 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 and bring them to life? Because I think, you know, the what you see in courses versus the real world is, is sometimes harder, right? You think about a marketing course, they teach you marketing principles. And in a book, it's one thing, but the real world is something else. So you're taking these certifications. Have you been able to try to apply them? Are you noticing some differences? Have you? I know there's a, a lot of layers to this question, but do you feel like you've been able to take the kind of courses and bring it to the real world and yet? Or is it more something you're going to do in the future? I actually feel like I'm subconsciously bringing what I'm learning from my courses into the workplace. I mean, like I said, I'm just learning how to better communicate with my yeah. colleagues. And also, I just take more initiative in asking questions. So when someone asks me about a certain project, I'll just ask, okay, why? And what would is the impact of, of that action if we do that? Just so people are more mindful as to how their words and actions can affect other people, especially the community that we hope to serve um, here in Seattle. So just I I'm all about asking questions and if anything, pulling up research and data to back it up. Mm-hmm. So I just try to be very, I don't know, strategic. Yeah. <laughs> and that goes back to what I just said, like things need to be backed up yeah. by data. Yeah. And Seattle's known to be a very liberal city in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, but when you get down to it, it may not be as liberal as people think. Yeah. And it's a passive aggressive city at times and uncomfortable with race, actually. Like the mm-hmm. people act as if they're above it and they're very liberal and open to things, but it's actually an uncomfortable position. And you can, in my experience, and again, 40 year old white man talking about this specifically, but I, th- it's something that has been mentioned to me by other people that Seattle isn't maybe what it thinks it is in a lot of ways. Are you noticing that, especially coming from LA, which is very diverse, to Seattle, which maybe claims to be more diverse, but isn't as diverse as as they kind of Mm -hmm. think they are? I mean, I feel like to a degree it is like LA. I mean, LA is also a liberal city. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do feel like there is a disconnect between people's actions and words. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's this idea of, well, if I just post this diversity statement or if I just post this black children in a social media post, then I am giving the idea that I am for the cause versus actually putting money behind it. So actually going out your way to sacrifice your power to support this community. It requires more work and more mindfulness, but I'm all about asking them questions and just nudging people. So, yeah. So what can marketing groups do a better job of making sure that there's representation in marketing. Mm. You think about it from just the outside world of just what's being communicated with the type of assets and, and, but also just internal teams and mm-hmm. hiring. 
I guess it's two fronts, but like marketing does, this does come up more often in marketing. And I think it's, you know, it's come up in like film as well. And Mm -hmm. you think about it, like a little tangent about the Oscars and a lot of things that they've had to go through or the, I guess, Hollywood in general. But (laughs) what can marketing do a better job of to make sure there's more representation? I mean, I feel like the first step is research. Um, So actually doing the groundwork of creating post-visit surveys, creating focus groups, where we actually reach out to the community and ask what do they want and what do they need instead of us assuming that this program would fit them because communities change over time. The community now is not the same as it was back in 2019. So just being very mindful as to how organizations change and then communities change. So just creating like a research phase um, before you actually implement a certain campaign. And I use that before I even start a social media campaign, I try to do research. Um, if anything, I try to ask questions as to, okay, well, do we have data from guests? Um, I try to go through like guest reviews, if anything, just to see, get some testimonials to see for myself as to, okay, well, would they even grasp this message that I'm trying to put out? And I feel like this also helps with finding the inconsistency with how a message is perceived and whether it's actually being grasped by the public. Mm -hmm. So perception is more important than the message. So, I've asked this before, but I think it's good for this conversation, is we often work, especially in marketing, and for Pacific Science or any brand, you're working in platforms like Meta, Twitter, and some of these companies don't always have the best background in, I guess you could, I mean, I know I just saw a New York Times article about a lot of issues with Meta and settlements they've had specifically around exclusionary practices in housing and things that they've done in the past that they theoretically have rectified to an extent, but maybe not fully. Do you ever feel guilty advertising and spending money in these platforms? And how do you maybe justify it? Or or do you just kind of have to proceed because that's a part of the job? Well, yes, I do feel guilty. <laughs> but to be honest, there's like ethical implications on any platform that you use, to be honest. I mean, we do live in a world of consumerism. And so it's just being mindful as to, okay, well, what are the pros and cons of me using this platform? And why am I using this platform? What's the benefit in using this platform? And will the community that I hope to serve actually find purpose on that platform? So I just try to be more mindful as to like, what what's the message and why am I showing this message on this platform? So Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's gray areas Mm, in all of life. And I think of it as, I know people that work at Meta, right? A good good friend works there. And, you know, a lot of people are just trying to do good work, do a job. And for most people, they're just using the social media platform to connect. And most of their day is just kind of enjoying their experience on there. And there are some dark sides, but Mm -hmm. the ads that we're serving are helping the brands get stronger reach and actually engagement. And also the people on the end of it are just trying to live their lives and hopefully that ad hits them in the right way. And while there are some trickle down effects of who that money goes to and maybe the practices at a structural level are are not always what we'd want to see. I kind of justify it that way. It's like it's, an, it's a way of reaching a user and I don't feel like these platforms have gone so far out of the boundaries that they're like X'd out. I know Twitter has been on that verge though because of you know, certain things and not trying to, uh, you should not be. Yeah, I know. You know, we're a very small podcast and maybe we should be trying to get into grudges with a certain uh, gentleman named Musk. Um, But the, 
you know, a lot of brands have kind of steered away from that because of what happened with a lot of the deregulation pretty much of their platform. And so that there was advertising did kind of stand up and say, we don't like where this is going and we have to make a statement for the time being. I will say another side note is we had a, a client, I won't name who, but they tried to back away from Facebook ads as a company and they're a pretty large organization for a quarter and it hurt their bottom line. And there wasn't enough fo- people following and they were so Facebook was just this huge machine and they eventually had to come back. And so they tried to make a statement and it hurt their bottom line. And that's what's that's what's tough. And this was kind of five, six years ago when Facebook was under much more turmoil coming out of elections. Wow. So Yeah, that's interesting. That actually happened a couple of years ago in L.A. So several museums, they pulled out doing Facebook ads. Yeah. I think a little bit of an answer I kind of know, but I want to hear from you is what, if anything, are we missing in how we communicate with a younger generation of business professionals? I kind of know, have my own perspective of what I've been digesting in these conversations, but what do you, what do you want to see more of in communication when leadership's talking to people that aren't in leadership and how we can get the best out of you and you you can get the best out of the work. I mean, I feel like it's just centering that community in the conversation and us not making assumptions as to what they want. I feel like that just goes back to the idea of like when museums posted diversity statements on our social media right after the Black Lives Matter protests. But they didn't necessarily have like diversity in their exhibits or programming um, or staffing. And so there was a disconnect. I mean, from the public side, it's like, okay, I see your statement, but why would I want to go and visit you on site if I can't see myself in your space? Um, And so just being mindful as to how how social media is only one form of communication and it requires a lot more than that. And for you, do you feel like, so one of the areas that I've been trying to tap into, which is, and my answer to this is, it's kind of like sports to me and coaching in that it used to be just one size fits all coaching. It's my way or the highway. Everyone follows in line where now it's been become more nuanced to where each individual needs to be, the end goals can be the same, but they need to be nuanced in how they get there. So my communication style between each of my employees is different. Yeah. And hopefully the end goal and the, the bar is set high for each one of them, but it's different. Do you feel like that is something that is being met in your experience? And do you feel like people are maybe being more accommodating in how they communicate, what they expect, but also hopefully set a high bar? I mean, I feel like there are still some barriers. Like you said, uh, mentioned earlier, how someone who's in a lower level position, they might not feel comfortable voicing about, oh, well, I need these resources um, because they might not feel like they'll even be heard. So it's from management and probably even HR is just being mindful of the barriers that can exist within an organization's culture that would prevent people from speaking up um, and actually being their full authentic selves at work. And we actually had a guest earlier, uh, Wendy, it was a couple episodes ago where she was talking about being diabetic and mm. feeling like she almost had to hide that from people because she maybe had to step away more times in, in meetings or between meetings and wasn't always available every given second. And she's gotten more comfortable with expressing that she has to step away. And I think that that stigma of certain things are slowly mm-hmm. coming away. It's not always the case. And what I think as managers is sometimes we don't, it, it's a difficult thing because we almost need to see it. Cause I think a lot of people aren't going to be open with it. You have to almost allow someone if they're having, uh, I'm going to call them issues, but just 
concerns about not being themselves. As a manager, you have to create a culture where everyone can kind of be their best self mm-hmm. and and not feel like you're inhibiting them in any sort of way. And I feel like we're we're doing a better job of that. But it's it's interesting to hear the stories of all the specific instances where people kind of hold back who they kind of are personality wise, or if it's something physical, because of they don't want to be faced with a stigma in the future, or mm-hmm. don't want to be thought less of because of those things. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the idea of like black women in the workplace. There's this idea of code switching, so having to act in a presentable way which involves you sacrificing pieces of yourself. So whether that means, okay, well, I can't, I don't want to be the angry black woman, so I am not going to be aggressive. I'm not going to be able to ask clarification questions in a meeting. I'm just going to bite my tongue. There are so many barriers, and it's not just race, this also goes to gender, sexuality, that can prevent people to actually show up as themselves. And I feel like a manager... If anything, I feel like their job is also to create a safe space where their employees can actually trust them. Mm -hmm. And in that exchange, it involves them being vulnerable. I feel like some of the best bosses I ever had is when I actually like they would actually share with me as to like what they're going through personally outside the workplace. I mean, everyone's human. And so just acknowledging that everyone has their own issues outside of work. Um, I'm going through school. People are supporting their families. So just being mindful of that and just it gives people an opportunity to be human at work because people aren't <laughs> built to just work all day. Yeah. They're also built to connect to other humans. Yeah. So And it's also, I mean, it pays off from, I feel like it just, one, it's the right thing to do, but two, it's it actually helps productivity and Get better work. And when we're thinking about people, will it keep someone in the position for longer? I mean, who knows? People can leave for a variety of reasons. But it's just better job satisfaction, better work environment, and just being a better person. And I I feel like we're a small agency, so like I'm both a manager, a boss, running a business, all these things at the same time, and not just like managing a team. And that's my only focus. I'm doing a lot of different things. But me being more open and understanding and trying to let people be themselves within the job helps them do a better job, which in turn helps me do a better job and gets more value out of my company and creates more value for my end clients. All those things can be true by just being a little bit more, I guess, open-minded and just accepting makes it sound like, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm struggling to find the right words, but it's just not being this kind of rigid person mm-hmm. that's like being flexible being flexible and accommodating yeah. yes exactly yeah. and you know i mean i think this is well put i i think you know we've co- i've seen it we've come a long way mm-hmm. but you can clearly see it it it's we've come a long way in the big steps but it's always that last what is it like the last five percent takes the longest right so when we take some of these things and maybe it's not five percent but whatever that percentage is those last bits are always the hardest and maybe the longest to go through and i think that's our next phase of this which is managers and people becoming like not feeling like we've hit the end line but that we're still we're close but there's still more things to do and hopefully when I reflect on myself that I feel like I'm getting there, but also being open-minded enough to be like, I probably don't have it fully dialed in yet and I need to keep getting better. And I think that goes back to the idea of growing. I mean, if everyone has the ability to go back to school, take on some skills, 
they'll find out that, okay, well, maybe I can actually grow in this position. Maybe I can grow into another position. I mean, anyone has the capability of gaining new skills over time. So, yeah. Well, we're talking some fairly deep stuff. We're going to move to the shallow end, right? So (laughs) this is your chance to riff on one of two things. And maybe it is more serious, but it's meant to be a little bit lighter, hopefully, which is what's something that bothers you about the industry. It could be like something very small. This equation in Excel doesn't work like it should. No, it could be anything. What's kind of something that's irking you that you want to get off your chest? Okay, well, TikTok. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, this whole trend of, oh, should we open a TikTok? Oh, oh, everyone has a TikTok. I mean, yes, everyone might have a TikTok. I mean, I don't personally have one, but as an organization, I feel like that's that's uncharted territory for me. Um, and so, I don't know. Have you worked with TikTok before? Like quite a bit in the for ad, advertising on, on the ad side. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. So, I personally have logged off of TikTok because I found it a little too addicting, and I was just nonstop yeah. killing time on there. And I backed away, but I do enjoy the platform mm-hmm. when I was on there. It didn't feel like bad addiction, but I definitely realized I was spending way too many hours at night on it. Mm-hmm. And from an ad platform, it's actually really challenging. But it is where people are and they're growing and actually have a really wide audience that isn't just like the, oh, it's only for 13 to 24-year-olds. It's it's kind of a good diverse ad platform in terms of age range and targeting and a lot of performance is a little bit different than other platforms. But it is definitely a platform we're leaning into more because Mm -hmm. it's kind of where trends are being set right now and where the people are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, we're but I get that feeling, and this is kind of the thing that everyone's had to go through. It's like the new platform. Do we really need it? Do we not need it? It was like Snapchat, and you know, it's like everything new. So is it a trend? Is it a fad? Is it long standing? And TikTok is that, and it's it's definitely different for sure. So yeah, and I think that goes back to creating a strategic plan where we actually determine: do we have the resources to maintain this channel and develop content? So yeah, awesome TikTok. Do it if it works for the company, but don't be forced to do it, whether it's TikTok or any channel. That's a great lesson there. Well, we're going to wrap it up there. I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks for stopping in today. Hopefully you had a good time and really good conversation. I I do appreciate you coming in and we enjoy working with you at uh, Pacific Science Center. And uh, thank you again. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Bye.